I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 11 through 16. So we'll be finishing out uh, chapter 4 of Paul's letter to Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll begin reading for us in verse 11. If you have one of the Bibles that we provide for you, uh, you'll find our passage on page 992. 992. Please listen as I read God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together, okay? Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for your word, and Lord, we pray that as we turn to your word right now, um, that we would experience the genuine and authentic conviction of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would protect us from the false accusations of the enemy. We pray, Father, that you would comfort and encourage our souls And Father, we pray that we would know the joy of discovering the truth that you have revealed to us in your word. So Father, minister to us now as you speak to us uh, through your word. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Well, we have now for some months been studying Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul is an apostle and he is writing to Timothy, who is a pastor in the city of Ephesus in the first century. And here in our verse this morning, in uh, in our passage this morning, in chapter 4, verse 12, we learn something about Timothy, and we learn something about the context in which he is serving. We learn that Timothy is a young pastor. We see there in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes, Let no one despise you for your youth. Now, most believe that Timothy was in his 30s. And so, in a culture that very much so valued age and the wisdom that comes with age, Timothy was considered to be a young pastor. And we also learn here in these verses that some were tempted to look down on Timothy because of his youth, to belittle him to maybe ignore him and his leadership. And so in chapter 4, verse 11, the verse just prior to the one that I made reference to, Paul instructs Timothy, command and teach these things. So we see here in verse 11 that Paul, Paul's instructions here assume that Timothy possesses some authority. However, we can imagine that there were those in Ephesus, and especially the false teachers who were 
attempting to infiltrate the church, we can imagine that there were those in Ephesus who it would have been easy for them to reject Timothy's authority based upon his age. They might have thought, what they may have thought, what can this young pup teach us? He doesn't have the experience that I have. He hasn't gone through the things that I've gone through. Why should we listen to him? But not only do we learn here in these verses that Timothy was young and that there were some there in Ephesus who were questioning or having a difficult time with his authority because he was young, we also learn that despite the critics, Paul desires for Timothy to fulfill his God-given responsibility. He says there in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Now, many believe that Timothy, not only was he young, but he was also shy and timid. Uh, there's a number of indications of this as we read through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And so just by disposition, by personality, Timothy was reluctant to kind of step out there and to, to lead and to assert himself in this way. And this is the reason why Timothy needs admonishments like this from the Apostle Paul. Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, when others complain that you are wet uh, behind the ears, I want you to command and I want you to teach these things. Let no one look down upon you or disregard your God-given responsibility to teach and to lead these people. Now notice, though, and this is really important to see in our text, that as Paul speaks this word of exhortation and encouragement to Timothy, Paul's remedy for this dilemma here is not that Timothy would arrogantly and pompously kind of throw his weight around, you know? He wouldn't come into the, into the, church, at Ephesus say, uh, the church in Ephesus and say, hey, listen, you're going to follow me because I'm the man of God. Now, we can imagine that that might be a temptation, a foolish temptation for a young pastor like Timothy, but that's not Paul's remedy to the situation. Rather, Paul says that when others question your calling, when others question your authority, when others question the God-given responsibility that you have to lead this church, I want you to lead by setting an example. That's Paul's solution. He says there in chapter 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Here it is. How, how are you not going to let others despise you for your youth? Is it by arrogantly demanding that they follow you? No, it's by setting the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, listen, if you do that, if you set the congregation an example in these areas, in your faithfulness to the Lord and walking with him closely, then you will win their respect and they will follow your leadership. I know what it's like to be a young pastor, not so much now, but there was a time when I did. Um, in 2002, I became the pastor of Berea Baptist Church, which is in Grovetown, Georgia. That church no longer exists because um, Berea merged five years ago with Crawford Avenue, and now we are one church together here at Crawford Avenue. 
But when I became the pastor of Berea Baptist Church in 2002, I was 27 years old and I was single. Now I'm 45 years old and I'm married and have three children. But you know, looking back on those days, early days when I was at Berea, uh, those really first five years or so of that pastorate were difficult. They were challenging for me. Coming into a new place and new people, um, some known expectations and also unknown expectations. And I was learning any number of things for the first time. And the congregation was walking with me through that process. And there were times where it was challenging. There were times where I even questioned, have I stepped into this too early? Am I up for this? And yet the Lord was faithful and merciful and gracious to me and to the congregation to see us through those early days. But you know, in a broader sense, as I can identify with Timothy here and in the experience that he's going through as a young pastor, in a broader sense, what Paul is speaking into Timothy's life here in these verses, it, it, it has implications for all Christians. Because all of us as Christians are given responsibilities and areas of ministry to serve the Lord Jesus. And I imagine all of us in those responsibilities have felt at different times fearful or ill-equipped or timid. And so as Paul speaks to this young pastor and he encourages him and admonishes him to step forward and to lead and to, to exercise the gifts that God has given him, Paul has a word for each of us. Each of us will find ourselves at times feeling inadequate as it relates to the calling that God has upon our lives. Maybe you're a new wife or a new dad. Maybe you're a high school student and you desire to be a witness to your classmates in, in your high school, but man, it's hard. Maybe you're a college student and you're, you're trying to disciple someone for the first time. Maybe you're middle-aged and you are getting into the time of your life right now where you have even a much greater responsibility than ever before to care for your parents in their latter years. And you think to yourself, I'm not young, but I've never done this before, and it's quite overwhelming. All of us will find ourselves at times in our lives where we feel inadequate for what the Lord seems to be calling us to do. And Paul here has a word for us. As he speaks to a young, timid pastor, it admonishes him towards faithfulness. As Paul provides this context for us here in these opening verses, he goes on to speak four exhortations to Timothy that are applicable to all of us. And I want us to look at these four ex exhortations now. The first is, be devoted to the ministry of the Word. Be devoted to the ministry of the Word. Second, I'll go through them all now, so if you're taking notes, maybe you can get them down. The second is, exercise your spiritual gift. The third is, immerse yourself in the work. And the fourth is keep your life in doctrine. And I'll repeat each of those as we work through them. First of all, though, let's look at this one. Be devoted to the ministry of the word. Look there in verse 13, and Paul writes these words. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now here we see that Timothy's 
Public ministry was a ministry of the scriptures. It was a ministry of the word. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Now, I want you to see here that this did not, this practice of publicly ministering the word of God did not originate with the apostle Paul. Okay, So this is not the first time that we see this in the scriptures. Rather, this is an old tradition that we see practiced throughout the scriptures that now Paul is taking up and admonishing Timothy to continue. Just to give you a brief sketch of the history of this practice that we see in the scriptures, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 10 through 13, we see there that Moses instructs the priest of Israel that there would be a specific time in which they would call together all of the people of God and they would take the book of the law and they would open it up or unscroll it and they would read it to the people of God where all the people of God were assembled so that they might hear the word of God and they might fear God and they might obey his commandments. And then we go centuries forward. So this is, you know, in the, the initial establishment of the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy when Moses instructs this. But then we go centuries forward and the nation has evolved and developed and then it's been conquered and then the people are exiled into Assyria and Babylon. And then God in his mercy and grace brings them back and they begin to gather back into Jerusalem and they're reinstituting the nation. And we read in Deuteronomy, in, in, I'm sorry, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, that a priest named Ezra came and met with the people. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, we read, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And he read from it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And so we see this with Moses and we see this with Ezra. And then we see this tradition is honored by the Lord Jesus himself. When in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is attending a synagogue. A synagogue was a place where the people of God would gather and worship the Lord. And Jesus takes a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and he unrolls it and he reads the words of the prophet Isaiah to the people there in the synagogue. And then he makes comments on that reading. So we know that this practice dates back to the days of Moses, that it was honored all through Israel's history, that it became a tradition in the Jewish synagogues, that it was honored by the Lord Jesus himself, and that it was adopted by the early church. As Paul here speaks to Timothy and he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now this is one of the reasons why we here at Crawford Avenue are so intentional about our services being laced with and filled with the reading of God's scriptures, the reading of the word. And I hope that you appreciate these moments in our services where we are listening to God's word being read. We are hearing God's word. Because listen, when we gather together as the people of God and we give ourselves to hearing the word of God read, what we are saying essentially is when we gather together to worship, even more important than God hearing us speak to him, and that is important, even more important than that is us hearing God speak to, to us. You see, that's the most important thing. 
then when we gather as the people of God, we silence our hearts. We silence our lips. We don't talk. We sit quietly and we hear God speak to us and he speaks to us through his word. This is a tradition that we see all through the, the scriptures from the Old Testament into the New Testament that the Lord Jesus himself honored and that Paul himself confirms. Paul goes on to say that once Timothy has read the scriptures, he is to give himself, you see it there in the text, to exhortation and to teaching. Now notice here that the order is very important. Here, Paul teaches us at least a couple of things about the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. One is that the authority of a sermon lies in the authority of Scripture. You notice Paul says there, he says in verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, then to exhortation and to teaching. Do you see the order? You are to read the Scriptures, then you are to exhort, then you are to teach. You are to exhort and teach based upon what you just read. Because, he wants Timothy to understand, Timothy, the authority does not lie in you, but rather the authority lies in the Word which you have just read. You read it, then you teach it. Not only that, but I believe we see here as well, from what Paul teaches Timothy, is that the most biblical and beneficial preaching for the church is what is known as expositional preaching. Expositional is a, is a big word, but expositional simply means the act of expounding, the act of setting forth or explaining. And here we see again that Paul is saying, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, then to exhortation and to teaching. So Timothy is to read the scriptures and then he is to explain them and he is to apply them. That's what biblical preaching is. That's what expositional preaching is. You read the text, you explain the text, you apply the text. This is what Nehemiah records that Ezra did when we spoke before of Ezra reading the word of God to the people of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, we read, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So that's what, that's what biblical preaching is, to read the word of God and then give the sense, to explain it, to expound it, to unpack it, so that it's clear the meaning and how it applies to our lives. I think that one of the things that Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy here is, listen, Timothy, if you want the congregation to follow you as a young pastor, if you want them to respect you in your leadership, then one of the things you can do is consistently over and over and over and over again, open the Word of God, read the Word of God, and explain the Word of God. As you do, you will demonstrate that you are submitting yourself to God's Word. And as you submit yourself to God's word, they will be inclined to follow you. Why? Because the true sheep will hear the voice of the chief shepherd in the word. And as they hear the voice of the chief shepherd in the words of their pastors, then they will be inclined to follow them. Because their authority as pastors does not lie in themselves, but in the words of the chief shepherd 
himself. John Stott, the Christian pastor and New Testament theologian, has written this, quote, It was taken for granted from the beginning that Christian preaching would be expository preaching. That is, that all Christian instruction and exhortation would be drawn out of the passage which had been read, end of quote. And this is what Timothy is called to as a pastor in Ephesus to do, to devote himself to the ministry of the Word. Now, listen, my friends, this has broader implications for all of us, for any ministry that you might find yourself in. Do you find yourself with a calling in your life or a ministry which you have been given in which you feel ill-equipped, in which you feel timid or fearful, in which you feel reluctant? Then I believe the Apostle Paul would have a similar word for any of us. Lean into God's Word. Make the Word of God a priority in your life. Make it central in your life and in your ministry. Know it and love it, and share it with others, and then watch the Word of God do a work which you or I cannot do. Watch the Word of God do the work of ministry. So Paul tells to Timothy to devote himself to the ministry of the Word. Second, he tells him to exercise your spiritual gift. Exercise your spiritual gift. Look there in verse 14, we read these words. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, oftentimes when we feel discouraged or we feel inadequate in ministry, we need to be reminded of God's call and his gifting in our lives. And here Paul reminds Timothy that he has been gifted, that he's been called, that he's been commissioned. Notice, he says to Timothy, you've been given a gift. He says, do not neglect the gift you have. Now, presumably here, given the context, Paul is referring to the gift that God has given Timothy to teach the Scriptures and to lead God's church. But then he goes on to say that Timothy not only has been gifted, but he's been called. He says, which has been given you by prophecy. Now, I'm not exactly sure how the act of prophecy and the receiving of the gift on Timothy's part, how all of that relates to one another. We're not, Paul doesn't give us further explanation. We don't have a narrative in the Bible that gives us further explanation of what happened here. But it seems that Timothy's calling may have been similar to Paul's calling when God called Paul to be a missionary. You might remember, or, or you might have read this before, in Acts chapter 13, The church in Antioch was fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. And the Spirit of God spoke to the church. And the Spirit said to the church to set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And as a result, the church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and prayed for them and sent them forth. And so it seems in a similar way that Timothy was called, that he was called in a unique way to this ministry of pastoring the church of God. 
And then Paul says that Timothy was commissioned. He says, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, this is a common expression in the New Testament. We see it over and over again that symbolizes that one is being set aside for gospel ministry. When the elders gather together and they lay hands on someone and pray for them, and they commission them and they send them out. And so now consider the situation that Timothy is in here. He's a young pastor. His leadership in the church is being challenged in various ways, especially, we would imagine, by the false teachers. He might be discouraged. Dispositionally, he tends towards being timid and fearful. And it must have been a great encouragement to Timothy that the Apostle Paul himself would take the time to write him a letter and to remind him that, Timothy, you have been gifted for this task. You have been called by God. You have been commissioned by the church. Therefore, step forward, Timothy, and lead for the glory of God. We all sometimes need someone, maybe a believer that we love and respect, that's more mature than us, to come alongside us and to encourage us in that way, to speak that truth into our lives, to remind us of the gifting and the calling of God in our lives. And by God's grace, we might be able to serve others in that way as well, to speak a word of encouragement, to remind another believer that's young in the faith or timid or feeling inadequate or discouraged, the Lord's with you. I've seen what God's done in your life. I've seen how he's equipped you for this work. Continue on and he will be with you. Notice as well, though, here as Timothy encourages or I'm sorry, Paul encourages Timothy to exercise his spiritual gift, notice that with the gifting comes responsibility. This is also as important for us to see. Notice that Paul does not assume here that by the mere possession of the gift that Timothy will necessarily be a blessing to others and bring glory to God, right? No, that's not how it works. With gifting comes responsibility, And we could imagine in this situation how it might be easy for Timothy because of his timidity, because of his fear, because of perhaps discouragement that he was experiencing to stop using his gift or to not develop the gift that the Lord had given him. And so Paul writes to him very directly and he says, do not neglect the gift that the Lord has given you. In fact, when Paul writes Timothy a follow-up letter in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he has a similar exhortation for Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, the gift that the Lord has given us is not to be neglected. It's not to be ignored. It's not to be left to be burned out or smothered. Instead, it's to be used and nurtured and developed and to fanned into flame. And the reality is that if you are a Christian, you have been given a gift. You've been given a gift by the Lord, a spiritual gift, to be used for the benefit of Christ's church and for the good of others. It could be the gift of teaching. It could be the gift of mercy. It could be the gift of administration. It could be the gift of encouragement. There are many gifts that the Lord gives to his church and gives to his people. And the admonishment that Paul gives to Timothy now is an admonishment for each one of us. We have been given a gift, but that does not necessarily mean 
that that gift will be a blessing to others unless we use it, unless we nurture it, unless we develop it, unless we fan it into flame and don't allow it to burn out. And so Paul says, exercise your gift. Do not neglect it, but use it for the good of the church and for the glory of God. Third, third exhortation. Paul says, first of all, devote yourself to the ministry of the word. Second, exercise your spiritual gift. Third, immerse yourself in the work. Immerse yourself in the work. Look there in verse 15, he writes, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Now, different translations have attempted to capture Paul's concern for Timothy's diligence here. Okay, so I want to just read you a few of these translations. I I love all of these. These are great translations. But each one of them uh, just approach it a little bit differently. So the King James, we read, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. The New American Standard translates this verse this way. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. The New International Version reads, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. You see the earnestness with which Paul is admonishing Timothy here. And and the reason is is simple, but it's of great importance to acknowledge. The reason why Paul is so admonishing Timothy here is because we all tend to be lazy. We all can tend to be slothful. And this can especially be the case in our spiritual lives. This is why Paul, in the passage just previous that we looked at last week, told Timothy, train yourself, discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. And if we are spiritually lazy, if we're spiritually slothful in the cultivation of our relationship with the Lord, then chances are we will be spiritually lazy and slothful in terms of our ministry to others. And listen, this is true of pastors. This is true of missionaries. We need to hear this admonishment, this exhortation. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them. Immerse yourself in these things. Now, let me just say this. It is true, and we need to acknowledge this. It is true that it is also a temptation to overextend ourselves in ministry. To burn ourselves out in ministry. To not take a day of rest each week and to practice Sabbath. That also is a temptation. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge, as the Apostle Paul acknowledges here, that for a man like Timothy who is called to speak the word of God to the people of God and to shepherd the church of God, he should do so with utmost diligence and care and attention and effort. That this requires, that it is worthy of, Our best efforts. That the man who is responsible to shepherd God's church should not be lazy, nor should he be aimless. And why? Why should Timothy do these things? Notice there in the text he says, so that all may see your progress. 
Again, I think what, what, what Paul is getting back to here is the, the original context that we were talking about Timothy was in. If Timothy is in a situation in which the congregation might be tempted to not respect him and follow him because of his youth, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, through your intentional, diligent effort, the church will see your heart. The church will see your efforts. The church will see the diligence with which you work, and they will be all the more inclined to follow you. As they see Timothy, month by month, year by year, growing in his ability to handle the Word of God, his knowledge of the Word, his love for the people, they will be more and more inclined to follow him. And so, of course, the question emerges, how are we doing? I mean, I, I love, as, as we think about this idea of immerse yourself, devote yourself to these things, we might wonder, well, how do I know if I'm immersing myself and devoting myself to these things that the Lord has called me to? Well, one thing you can do is you can think about what are the areas where the Lord has called you to minister and to serve for his glory. I mean, we can think definitely of the areas like a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, Maybe you're a Bible study leader. There's, there's all kinds of different callings that we have in our lives, opportunities that the Lord gives us to influence others in your workplace, to be a witness and a testimony. At school, maybe to disciple others. What calling has the Lord placed on your life? And then, and then Paul speaks of this idea of progress so that they may see your progress. That's a good place to go. What is my progress in these areas? Over the last six months, over the last year, over the last five years, have I grown in my knowledge of God's Word? Have I grown in my love for Him? Have I grown in my ability to minister to others and serve others? Those are good, helpful questions to ask yourself, to diagnose. Am I immersing myself? Am I devoting myself to these things? as the Lord has called me to. So Paul admonishes, he exhorts Timothy to be devoted to the ministry of the Word, to exercise his spiritual gift, to immerse himself in the work, and then finally to keep your life in doctrine. Keep your life in doctrine. Look there in verse 16 and we read these words. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, here's a balance that we must all pursue, life and doctrine. We must watch over our spiritual lives. We think about our faith, our love, our purity, our obedience to God and to his word. These are categories that the Apostle Paul has already told Timothy he needs to set an example in these areas. So we need to watch over our lives. But we also must watch over our doctrine, what we believe, what we hold to be true, and then what we are teaching others is true. Is it in line with, is it consistent with God's Word and with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And as Paul admonishes Timothy to do this, we, we come now to understand why Paul is so earnest, why he's so earnest in his exhortations to young Timothy. He says, great things are at stake. 
He says he's to watch his life and his doctrine and he's to persist in these things. Notice there in the text. For by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. In other words, the salvation of Timothy's soul and the salvation of those in whom has been entrusted to his care is at stake. Now, what does Paul mean here when he speaks to Timothy and he says, you will save both yourself and your hearers? We know that the Apostle Paul is the, known by some as the Apostle of Grace. We see this all through his writings, that the Apostle Paul teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that it's only the Lord Jesus who can save us as sinners. Paul says this actually in the opening chapter of this letter. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he alludes to this idea. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And so Paul proclaims this message in all his letters, that we are sinners, and that we, because of our sin, deserve the judgment of God. But God in his grace and mercy sent the Lord Jesus. And by his perfect life and death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, he can save us from our sins as we turn to him and look to him in faith. And so what does Paul mean here when he says that you will save both yourselves and your hearers? Is he saying that it's Timothy who will save himself? Is it Timothy who will save the church in Ephesus? Well, of course not. But it's important for us to understand here, as we we think about Paul's language here, it's important for us to understand that the New Testament authors taught that it is God who saves. It's God who saves alone, but God uses means when he saves. And so, as God uses means to bring about his salvation, the New Testament authors oftentimes feel comfortable speaking like it is an evangelist or a missionary who's bringing about the salvation of others. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Listen to the words of Jesus when he called Paul to be a missionary. Jesus said to Paul, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, let me ask you this. Did Paul, when he went to minister and serve, did he literally open the spiritual eyes of those that he was preaching and teaching to? No, of course not. He didn't have the power or the ability to do that. But it was through Paul's preaching, it was through Paul's teaching, it was through him loving and ministering and serving that God worked to open their eyes so that they saw Jesus for who he was and they believed and trusted in him. Or the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by all means, here it is, I might save some. Now is it the Apostle Paul who saved them, who redeemed them? No, of course not. If you ask Paul, did you, are you responsible ultimately for their salvation? He would say, absolutely not. But Paul recognizes that God uses means. He works through people to bring about his purposes of salvation and redemption. And so he feels comfortable acknowledging that God used his willingness to identify with the cultural context and background of his hearers so that when he spoke the word of God, They could hear it and understand it in their own language, in their own context, in their own culture. And God used that then to bring the gospel message to them and to save them. 
So what we see here is that, yes, it is God ultimately who will save Timothy. It is God who will preserve the church in Ephesus and keep them until the day of salvation. But God will use Timothy and his faithfulness to keep his own life, to keep his doctrine and his teaching. He will use Timothy's faithfulness as a means by which he will accomplish that salvation and redemption to preserve and keep Timothy and to preserve and keep the church. And God does the same work through us, my friends, all of us, as we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord saves us and He redeems us, and then we are responsible to watch over and keep our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and His strength. And as as He does that in us and as He does it through us, He uses us not only to bring about our own salvation and and, and ability to keep and preserve ourselves to the end, but also the salvation of others as we're faithful to speak the gospel word, as as we're faithful to speak the message of Jesus Christ and to exhort and encourage and admonish those who are Christians in the Lord to persevere and be faithful to the end. What a tremendous thing that the Lord is calling us to. And listen, my friends, if, if, you're, if you feel weak, if you feel inadequate, if you feel reluctant to engage in what the Lord is calling you to do now, if you've begun to become weary and to kind of get tired and, and discouraged, and there's times where we do that in our own Christian lives, the words of the Apostle Paul are words for you this morning. Refocus. Get up. Renew yourself in the calling that the Lord has placed upon your life. Watch over your own life. Watch over your own doctrine. Immerse yourself in the things that the Lord has called you to do. Exercise your spiritual gift. Be a man or a woman of God's word. Love it. Know it. Walk in it. Share it with others. And as you do so, God will do an amazing work in your own soul and in the souls of others that he has entrusted you to influence and to impact for his namesake. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us grace to do just that. Father, we all face challenges in our lives and in ministry that discourage us at times. And Father, we confess that sometimes it's not even anything that's discouraging. It's just our own propensity towards maybe slothfulness or laziness that, Lord, we lose focus. And Lord, like Timothy, we need admonishment. We need encouragement. We need exhortation like Paul spoke this word into Timothy's life here. Lord, I pray that where there's the need for genuine conviction that you would bring that now, Lord, into our hearts. Father, I pray that this would be a moment that we would take to repent and to turn from those areas where we have been negligent or we have not been faithful. And Lord, I pray that by your grace we would receive your forgiveness and your mercy. And then, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be encouraged to... um, to get up, to take steps forward, 
to step into the calling and the ministry and the opportunities that you have given us. And Lord, I pray that as we do so, we would see the the power of your spirit at work in our lives and uh, in our ministries. So Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this word of instruction, for correction, for encouragement. Lord, take it now and each one of us find ourselves in such different circumstances and situations. Apply it to each unique circumstance, each unique situation, each unique heart. And Lord, we pray that we would be more faithful ministers and ambassadors and servants of Christ as a result. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.